Think back to your childhood and the foods you ate. Did you enjoy Tony the Tiger's Frosted Flakes, Lucky the Leprechaun's Lucky Charms, Snap, Crackle, and Pop's Rice Krispies? As adults, we cook with Betty Crocker, eat at Wendy's, clean with Mr. Clean. The products we buy and the foods we eat are replete with mascots and human stand-ins. It's called anthropomorphizing, the act of humanizing inanimate objects or situations. Companies have long known that putting a human or human-esque face on a brand makes it more relatable. There are lots of such characters or mascots, the Kool-Aid Man or Mr. Clean or Green Giant. But I would say the most commonly used brand would be Coke, even though it's not as overtly anthropomorphized as one might think, but the shape of the bottle was inspired by the Hubble skirt that women used to wear. It just gives this curvy look to the bottle, imitating the human body shape. And then there are, of course, more recent brands, the Apple I'm a Mac campaign, which has this actual human model talking about the brand. Uh, There'll be so many others. My name is Pankaj Jagarwal. I did my PhD from University of Chicago, and I've worked in advertising. When I joined University of Chicago for my PhD, uh, given my advertising background, I was really thinking of brands and how and why consumers buy brands and what goes on in their mind when they're comparing brands A versus B. And that led me to the dissertation area of thinking of brands as people. Today, Pankaj is a professor at the University of Toronto Scarborough with a cross-appointment to the Rotman School of Management. And he continues to study how people and marketers make products seem more human. Today, brands talk to us on social media. We ask Siri, Alexa, and Google questions. And mascots are definitely still in vogue. In the world of marketing, anthropomorphizing isn't a new phenomenon. But the rules are changing and brands need to keep up. This is The Executive Summary, a Rotman School of Management podcast, and I'm Megan Haynes, editor of the Rotman Insights Hub. We often start anthropomorphizing objects as children. We pretend our toys come to life and can talk to us. We get upset when our dolls or our teddy bears are injured. We see humanness in the clouds, the trees, the animals around us. Kids primarily want to make friends. One of the reasons why kids anthropomorphize is to see this non-human entity like a friend, somebody they can connect with. So social connection becomes a really important reason why kids anthropomorphize. But well into adulthood, we continue to give objects human characteristics. The second reason why people anthropomorphize is to make sense of the world around us. When we don't understand something that's going around us, often using the human schema, as we call it, because we are humans, we understand ourselves best, using that humanness to make sense of things that are non-human. There are many types of anthropomorphization. Mascots, physical representations of a brand in a human-like form, are probably the clearest example. 
We also project celebrities onto companies when they act as spokespeople, Jennifer Aniston and Avino, or Michael Jordan and Nike. But we also imbue companies and products with human traits. Think TD, the friendly bank, or Apple, the creative company. We impose physical characteristics on brands like the curvy Coke bottle or the meandering Roomba. But however we humanize a product, it changes the way we interact with it. When we use the human lens to see a brand, we tend to relate to them as we relate to humans. We form relationships with brands, uh, much like our social relationships. So brands may seem like they are our committed partners and we are kind of loyal to them, and or we may feel emotionally connected. One of the things about relating to brands or seeing them as humans is we tend to almost uh, unconsciously apply human norms. How we supposed to interact with brands ends up being borrowed from our social interactions with other people. So this example of President Obama comes to mind where um, he was visiting Japan uh, and he was being shown a robot, some latest technology. President Obama, his, his foot touched the robot and he immediately said, I'm sorry. Obviously, that doesn't make sense to apologize to a machine. But when a robot looks like a human, you tend to use human behavior, human norms, human etiquettes. When we humanize brands, it means we're less likely to throw a product away. Can you imagine trashing your favorite reliable ant? No. So why would you toss your trusty car, whom you've lovingly named Irma? Pankaj's research even shows we use humanized products as extensions of ourselves. Take sometimes negative traits like dominance. When it comes to people, we often don't appreciate these characteristics, but in cars, we might seek out dominant-looking vehicles, those with wider headlights or aggressive-looking grills, because it allows us to display dominance in a socially acceptable way. It's sort of like dominance by extension and by using a dominant-looking product to get that trait or personality that you didn't have. We're also less likely to judge products on their features and functionalities when we anthropomorphize them. Typically, the traditional way of looking at products is look at, look at the features and evaluate it on the functionality of it. But if we humanize the product, rather than looking at specific features, we tend to look at the brand or the product in a holistic manner. For example, if I'm deciding to buy a car and I think of uh, Volkswagen Beetle as a human-like brand, rather than thinking of, oh, is it fuel efficient? Is this high resale value? What is the uh, speed at which it can go? I might just say, hey, I like this brand. This is my kind of brand, and I just want to buy it. We're also far less likely to haggle on prices, apparently. I have actually a project going on with a co-author. We, we find that, especially in the used uh, product market, when there is potential for price negotiation, we find that people are less likely to haggle uh, and people are actually willing to pay a higher price if they are buying a product, if it's anthropomorphized, rather than if it's just seen as an object. 
And then there's the truly funny body part analogy. One of the things about anthropomorphism is, and especially for certain products, there's some research which shows that when people are, for example, say buying a printer, if it is humanized, they would want the cartridge from the same brand because there is this intuition that the body part has to match the body type. And that's not necessarily true for non-anthropomorphized products. So there are plenty of benefits to anthropomorphizing brands. But considering the socially connected, always-on, increasingly smart world in which we live, marketers may want to take a beat before deciding to humanize their product. There are some real implications for when marketers begin adding human qualities to a brand, and they don't always result in higher sales. Take celebrity endorsements or founder brands. It can be almost impossible to disassociate a company from the famous faces that front them, and that can have catastrophic results. See Jared and Subway or Trump and his hotels. And social media is changing the conversation, with consumers holding brands more accountable than ever for how they present themselves. If a brand holds itself up as a good neighbor, a friendly bank, a trusted partner, what happens when it breaks its word? Pretty much the same thing when people break promises. If I trust you and you break that trust, I am disappointed and often I might feel, is this even the right relationship? Do I even want to talk to you again? One aspect of humanness is that humans are seen as intentional. So anything you do, as a human, are seen as what you intended to do, um, and you as a person. So if you do something that violates the relationship, I may actually get really upset because now I think whatever, it was not accidental, it, this is what you intended all along. When a brand or its celebrity endorser screws up, it's not surprising that anthropomorphized products take a hit. But there are potential unintended consequences to humanizing an object, even when the company has the best intentions. Take gender-neutral products. One of Pankaj's latest projects is looking at how we, the consumer, impose gender on products, specifically on anthropomorphized items. There is this concept in social psychology called androcentrism, the idea being that most societies are structured so that men become the kind of norm and women are the other gender. Women are otherized, so to say, and that's true for brands as well. So that's what we find interesting, that if you do not specify the gender but anthropomorphize, most people will think of that as a male brand. Researchers gave participants a choice between three anthropomorphized products, one with an overt male gender, one with an overt female gender, and one that was considered gender neutral. Men overwhelmingly opted for the male or gender neutral product, while women stuck with a female gendered one. In effect, what we are saying is that women have fewer options if you think you're not genderizing. Given the social structure, it's actually not true. Women still see it as a male brand, and therefore they don't like it as much as they might like a female version of a brand. 
So what are the implications for brands today? I think the rules of marketing have changed, all right? So the fact that the world is interconnected, the fact that we have so many different ways of interacting uh, means that if you anthropomorphize a brand, you better be able to talk to customers in a more direct way, in a more one-on-one way, which was probably not possible 30 years ago with every brand having its own Facebook or Instagram page uh, and having access to individual customers' uh, data set, information, email, whatever, they should be able to connect with that person almost individually. It could also creep out some customers if it becomes too invasive. What's a bit of a challenge on the marketers to really understand the nature of humans, so not just humanization. And there are going to be clear cases where companies should steer clear of anthropomorphization, such as when they want a product replaced on some frequent basis. After all, if we develop a deeper relationship with our toaster, we're less likely to buy a new one. That's not to say companies can't work anthropomorphization into their strategies effectively, even when they want frequent product repeats. Let me give an example here. Apple has used personality as creative, something that I think people have bought into, and that's a trait that humans have. So while the brand, I think, is anthropomorphized through communication, through campaigns like I'm a Mac, the product itself, the iPhone, for example, is not anthropomorphized. If Apple as a company wants consumers to upgrade their phone every year, every two years, then you want the brand to be anthropomorphized because that uh, makes me loyal to the brand. But you want to keep upgrading the product to get the new model, and you don't feel kind of guilty about throwing your old phone away and buying a new one. Pankaj also finds that for companies that need to be purely transactional, think the bank that charges you a fee for a service or a cell phone provider that regularly raises its rates – Humanizing these companies can backfire. After all, a good friend doesn't increase their friendship fee year over year just to keep up with inflation. And companies that might need to rebrand in the near future should definitely avoid giving their products human qualities. Repositioning a brand is going to be a tough thing for an anthropomorphized brand to do, primarily because if I see or I already think of that brand as a certain kind of human that I have a certain relationship with. And then tomorrow you tell me, hey, forget about that. We are a different person. We have a different personality. That is hard to reconcile with. Uh, So marketers might be better off either by rebranding it completely, having a different name, or just not starting off with an anthropomorphized version if they think there is a possibility of potential repositioning. And that's not to say that companies should steer clear of anthropomorphization altogether. I think in some ways it's better to be overtly clear to the consumers what gender, for example, the brand has, what personality trait your brand has, because that is the cue that people use to imbue on the brand. 
if you leave it abstract or vague, different consumers may think of it somewhat differently. And it's obviously going to be biased by, say, their own views of the world, their own views of uh, humans. And that's not ideal, I think, for marketers. So it's better to be as clear as possible, whether it's giving it a name, whether it's giving it a personality through advertising, through commercials, whether it's kind of showing the celebrity or the or the mascot, uh, any of those things, I think is, is better than just leaving it uh, ambiguous. This has been the Rotman Executive Summary, a podcast bringing you the latest insights and innovative thinking from Canada's leading business school. Special thanks to Professor Pankaj Agarwal. We'll be back in a few weeks with Professor Rachel Rattan to talk about how to give better advice, just in time to make your New Year's resolutions. This episode was written and produced by Jesse Park and Megan Haynes. It was recorded by Dan Mazzotta and edited by Avery Moore-Kloss. For more innovative thinking, head over to the Rotman Insights Hub and subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, or SoundCloud. Thanks for tuning in. 